0: Hey!
1: Hello everybody, it is great to see you today. Would you stand up with us please? We are going to worship the Lord and we are glad you are here to join us this morning at Crossroads Ministries. So as we sing this next song, men, we're going to have you start out. Ladies, we want you to echo. Of course, we know the ladies will be nice and stronger. Unless you men want to just pick it up a notch. Um, But either way, we are coming together to worship and sing and praise God. So we want to see some smiles and some joyful faces. Letting God know we are here to honor and adore him this morning. So here we go. I want you to have some fun with this song and worship our king. (laughs) i let you know that. Man, you were awesome, too. Awesome, too. I want you to stay standing for the n- next song because we know this one very well. And we want you s- this song to be a time of just really reflecting on who the Lord is, praying and adoring him with all that your heart, soul, and mind will allow you to do, and just giving everything back to Jesus this morning. You may be seated, please.
2: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Timmy. How you doing? Uh, not bad. I can't complain. You're in church, buddy. I love you. Hey, I'm just here to remind you guys again. Next week in 171 and a half hours. Yep, 171 and a half hours. That's next week at 3 p.m. Be at Peterswood Park, shelter number four, from 3 o'clock to 7 o'clock. We're having a church-wide picnic. Uh, The church is providing the uh, hamburgers, hot dogs, and drinks, and we're asking everyone to bring a side dish and or a dessert. We don't want all dessert or all side dish. So get with Jenny, she'll figure out what the food orders are uh, so we don't have all of one thing. Uh, We have a a great uh, schedule of events. We have men's softball going on at three. We've got kids games starting at 3.30. The food will be at 4.30, and then I'll be out for the rest of the day. Uh, 5.30 to 6.30, we're gonna have family games, tug of war, cornhole. Um, Some of the guys put cornhole together, uh, actually built the equipment. Matt Parish painted them, so they're actually pretty cool looking. And then at 6 o'clock is the women versus teens game. Um, it be a lot of fun. The first two events we had were an awesome success, and I hope to see you guys all there. And Pastor said, if this is another big success, we can just keep doing this and doing this again. I mean, everyone loves free food and, and fellowship with, with friends, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So, yeah. See you guys then. <laughs> okay, good.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Well, it's so good to see you today in the Lord's house. If you're happy to be here, say a hefty amen. 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 Holy cow. Okay, reaching the book rack right there in front of you. And if you can find that little black folder somewhere along the line, pick it up, put your name on it. And if you'll be so kind to just fill that out, give it to a person sitting next to you, we'll appreciate that. Well, this has been a wonderful summer, and I'll tell you what, the Lord has just come down and blessed us in every way possible and we're, we're just actually basking in the blessings of God here in the church. And, we're, and we thank you for that because I know you've been praying real hard that God would provide all of our needs and he's doing just that. We thank you. Uh, here's a little announcement from the community. Uh, the uh, Thomas uh, Presbyterian Church has a uh, a day every year that they kind of organize people to go out and help people at their homes uh, that need painting done, different uh, woodworking things, electrical, plumbing, outside work around the outside of the house, and uh, I have several applications. If you know somebody, maybe maybe it's your, over at your place, that maybe can't afford to do some work on their, on their home or their property uh, just for a day, uh, these people enjoy coming over and spending a day and, and doing those kind of jobs around, the, around your place. And I, I, I'm sure they'd be open also if there's any men or women in the church that would like to help on that day. It's August 28th, and here's uh, a couple forms. If you'd like to uh, pass it on to somebody who may need something like that on their property, uh, please do. And uh, I think, I think uh, it'll be a blessing to them. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering together. We thank you every every week for your financial participation in the church. We know that uh, God is most of all to be thanked and so let's thank him first. Dear Lord, we, uh, we know that everything that we have comes from your hand. Lord, the strength to get up and go to work and the strength to figure out our job and the strength to just keep pursuing uh, life as we know it here in our country. We thank you for that, Lord. We don't take it for granted. And now we come to show our appreciation uh, for what you've provided for us and how well you've provided for us. we come to uh, provide for your church. We pray, Lord, that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Testament. If you start at Genesis and you just keep working your way to the right, you'll discover it. One of our members, Eric Sherida, uh, came in the first service and he said, "Here, Pastor, I want you to look at this Bible." And so I opened it, and um, some of the pages are falling out of it. And uh, you know, I always encourage you to underline things in your Bible this whole Bible is underlined I'm serious you see and and you the whole Bible is underlined Eric's great grandmother no great aunt was a missionary in India she received this Bible on her 99th birthday and so this I I presume she lived to uh, to be 103, and uh, I presume that, uh, well, she underlined this whole Bible as she read it, and uh, I just, uh, I'm just in awe. He said her last will and testament is in here, and uh, I don't think it amounts to much. Who she wants this Bible to go to, I feel kind of humbled uh, to even hold it, uh, that uh, this wonderful person... Uh, who was a missionary in uh, India all the way up until 103. And so I thought this morning that I'd try to read. I I didn't do this in the first service, but I think I will today, uh, from her Bible. And uh, we'll see how we do with it, okay? We're in Chapter 4 of Ruth. Ruth. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by, unto whom he said, Such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here, and they sat down. And he said to the kinsman, Naomi? that is, come again out of the country of Moab, selling a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise to you, saying, buy it before the inhabitants, and before the elders of my people, if you will, redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside you, and I am after you and he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? You must also buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And so what's happening right here is Boaz is calling a meeting of the person who is in front of him to be the family redeemer. And first of all, he proposes that this man buy the piece of land. Now, we all like land, don't we? I mean, uh, if you invest in land, it's there for a long time. It's going to outlast you. And so the first in line family (coughs) redeemer uh, was offered this land. And then he said, okay, I'd I'd like to do that. And then in verse 6, uh, or verse 5, then Boaz says, What day you buy the land uh, of the hand of Naomi, you must buy also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead. And that, what that means is that you buy the land, you also get married to Ruth. And in verse 6 was his response, and the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance and redeem my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. He said, I like the land part, but whenever you sprung the the woman part, it's too much for me. I back out. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing, for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. This was very interesting and I'm sure that you could read the book of Ruth for a long, long time and not understand. You know, in our world, we, we shake on things. You go, to, we, you go to some place and you say, okay, I want to buy this. Okay, that's a deal. Let's shake on it. That means we agree. Well, back in that culture, uh, they passed the sandal, their sandal, on to the next person instead of shaking hands. Therefore, the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for you so he drew off his shoe. And Boaz says unto the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelechs. So Boaz says, Okay, now I'll step up to the bat. You don't want it. I'll buy it. Everything Elimelech had, everything that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased, that's an interesting way to refer to your upcoming wife, I have purchased, uh, to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place, you are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. Now, if you remember the story of Rachel and Leah in the Bible, they were very prolific. Uh, They had lots of children. And so the people that were witnessing this particular wedding were saying, Listen, we want you to go out from here and just populate, okay? Just have a lot of kids like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel They were the very foundation, Rachel and Leah, of the nation of Israel. And do thou worthily in Ephrath, and be famous in Bethlehem. What a blessing this was. Uh, Go have a bunch of kids and become famous in Bethlehem. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, this is a blessing. And let your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the... Seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And it shall be unto thee a restorer of your life. You know, there's nothing as joyful as grandkids. How about it? Nothing as joyful as grandkids. One lady told me one time, if I'd have known they were this good, I would have had them first. (laughs) But uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, She'll be unto thee a restorer of your life. You've heard the saying, you know, uh, little kids keep you young. Well, they keep you tired, too, but they, they also keep you young. That's what this is referring to. Uh, He shall be unto thee a restorer of your life and a nourisher in your old age for your daughter-in-law, which loves you, which is better to you than seven sons. Now, remember, she lost her sons. And so, uh, but she gained a daughter-in-law that was so committed to her. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became nurse unto it. We'd love to see grandma take these little kids in their arms and say, oh, boy, is this kid precious. By the way, when are you going home? You know, love them and leave them, I guess you'd call it. Verse 17. And the woman, her neighbors, now this is interesting right here. And the woman, her neighbors gave it a name. You know, we spend so much time thinking about the names of our kids and sometimes you know, and we've had this many times in the church. Somebody will come in, they have a child, and they say, "We named it what?" And we'll say, "What?" And you know, it was it was a different kind of a name. And we spend so much time we go on the internet. Some names are in, some names are out. Well, they, she, what she did is she let the neighbors in on it. And so I'm not suggesting that Dan, you do do that anytime soon. Let the neighbors over there where you live name name the new baby. That's what they did though. Look, verse 17. And the woman, her neighbors gave it a name saying, this is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wow. Okay, on your notes this morning I have several places that uh, you can fill in and uh, what we want to do is just bring to a conclusion our study on the book of Ruth today. And so up there on that first line that you have, uh, chapter 1 is about Ruth renouncing. And uh, this is the story of someone beginning their life again. And, you know, if I don't want to ask you, our congregation, this morning, how many people here sitting today have had to do that in your life, you've had to begin your life again. But oftentimes, that's what has to happen. You have one chapter of your life, and, and that's, that's closed. That's, that's my old life. You have a new chapter. And sometimes you have to have another chapter. You have to begin your life again. And, and so Ruth and Naomi in chapter 1, if you remember, uh, they were headed out to the land of Israel to start life over again. Uh, they had uh, both lost their husbands. And they were at the, the, they were trying to make it. And, and we find in chapter 1, remember these famous words that uh, Ruth mentioned. And you'll always remember this. She said, wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Ruth was making a break from her former life. And you know, that's always, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, She was turning over a new spiritual leaf. She was turning her back on the God of Moab, Chemosh, and embracing the God of Israel, Jehovah. Uh, Salvation is a decision, and that's what she made. She made a decision to come to God. And whenever she arrived, her and Naomi, in uh, Israel, remember, she went out to work. And we were stricken in chapter 2 of Ruth with the fact that the Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 2 that she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She just happened. Somebody would say, boy, that's, you're fortunate. Well, we believe that it was a divine appointment. God set this up. She started to go out and she was a gleaner. And that meant that she scraped in the corners of the field scraped up what was left behind. To, she, in other words, eked out a living. And she was willing to do that. And uh, she started to reap. And the Lord blessed her. She was in the field of Boaz. And as we begin to read in chapter 2, we found out that Boaz is, is a type of Christ. Whenever you think of the word Boaz, think about Christ. Because as you read through the book of Ruth, which I've done quite a few times since I've been talking to you about that, I'm connecting Boaz to Christ. He was from Bethlehem. He was kind. He was courteous. He was generous. On and on it goes. Make the connection between Boaz and Christ. Okay. She was, uh, she was really taken back that he knew a lot about her and of course, I made the connection there that Boaz is a picture of Christ in His omniscience. The Lord knows all about us, doesn't He? He knows everything about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And uh, and so, whenever Ruth showed up into the field of Boaz, uh, she, he knew a lot about her. She didn't know much about him. It's a picture of people in the world, your friends. The Lord knows all about them, but they know very little or nothing about the Lord, right? The people you work with, the people that you pass in the hall, the people who sit in the next cubicle, uh, they are known well by God, but uh, they know little about God. And whenever you talk to them, you're really taken back at how little they know how much spiritual blindness that there is in the world and how much spiritual darkness. And these are the same people that say, listen, I go to church every week. Well, uh, he was a stranger to her, but she was no stranger to him. And so as you read through the book of Ruth, you find that Boaz is is a terrific picture of the person and work of Christ. When you get to chapter 3, and I know you're writing this down because I have your notes there in front of you. Ruth is resting. She's resting in the knowledge that God is working everything out in her life. Oh, you know what? This is a wonderful thought. Proverbs 3.6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And we see this playing out now in the life of Ruth. She says, listen, your God is going to be my God, and that's all God needed to say, okay, Ruth, I'll direct your path. When you go out to work, I'm going to put you in the right job, I'm going to put you in the field of Boaz because he's the person I want you to connect with. And so she is living proof of Proverbs 3.6, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. And so you remember uh, in that particular chapter she made her, uh, she proposed marriage to Boaz uh, she did exactly what Naomi told her to do. Uh, she took a good bath. She put, anointed herself. She put on her best dress. And she headed off to the threshing floor. And she laid herself down at the feet of Boaz. And that was a picture of submission and rest. And, uh, and that's a picture of you and that's a picture of me when we come to Christ and we kneel down and we lay down at the feet of Christ. It is a picture of rest. It's a wonderful rest to be in the presence of Christ. And that that pictured that. Well, she made a proposal to to Boaz, but Boaz wanted to go by the book. And every time I read chapter 3, I'm kind of like on pins and needles because I know that Probably deep down, Boaz really did like her and wanted to be married to her, but he wanted to go by the book more so. And so he said, listen, there's somebody in the family redeemer line that is next in line to redeem you, and I'm second after him. And so we need to give him the opportunity to marry you rather than me. And so... when we got to the end of chapter 3, we're kind of up in the air, we're, we're wondering. She went home, and she knew she was going to get married, but she didn't know who she was going to marry. That's kind of a precarious situation, isn't it? Let's get all this stuff ready, and whoever shows up, that's it. That's who I'm marrying. And so this brings us to chapter 4. Ruth is rewarded. The summons goes out. Uh at the public meeting boaz calls a public meeting at the gate this is the social hub of the city this is where a lot of business was transaction was transacted and he called together the witnesses and he brought in the nearer kinsman and made the proposition to him and he didn't begin with her he began with the land And he said, listen, there's some land that was sold and it needs to be reincorporated into our family. And the first kinsman said, okay, I'm in the land. I like land. Land's probably a pretty good investment. And so he said, okay, count me in. Uh, When Israel came into the promised land, and here's a little background here. When Israel came into the promised land during the days of Joshua, the land was divided among the tribes. And that's when you go in the back of your Bible and you see the tribes of Israel. Remember the 12 tribes? Zebulun, Naphtali, Ephraim, Benjamin, Judah, the 12 tribes. The land was divided for the nation of Israel. It was divided among the tribes and then among the family clans. Okay? God intended that the land stay within those tribes and family groups, so the land could never permanently be sold, but it could be sold temporarily. And after 50 years, it would be returned to the original family group. This is why we struggle so today about Israel. Israel knows, according to the Bible, God gave them the land. Uh, And... uh, God says, listen, I want you to keep this land. Uh, I want this tribe to live here and this tribe to live here and then the family clans. Uh, But they were allowed to sell if they got in trouble or they needed money, the land, but it was only a temporary sale. It would revert back to them after 50 years. Or it would come back to them if somebody in the family rose up and bought it back. 50 years is a long time. So God made a provision that the land could be sold, but it could be redeemed back by a family member. Well, it's believed that Elimelech probably sold this land before he left for Moab. Remember, he was in trouble. He was trying to feed his family. You know, when you try to feed your family, you sell anything you have, right? I mean, you have a moving sale, you have a a estate sale, you have any kind of sale you think. And, And, of course, he was the owner of the land. And so the land uh, evidently had been sold and now it was time to buy it back. And Naomi and Ruth came back and uh, they needed the land. Uh, you know, when uh, Boaz brought the matter up to the nearer kinsmen, uh, he, uh, he said, listen, if it's about the land, count me in. But, but what he did is he said, now this is a package deal. Uh, not only do we... I need you to buy the land, but I need you to marry Ruth. And he said, you know what? I like the land part, but this other part is not for me. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 4. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance, lest I cause trouble in my existing family. You redeem the right of redemption for yourself, I cannot redeem it. I'm not going to do this. And so here we find the refusal of the family redeemer. No doubt he was married and, uh, and his children are, all had their eye on their part of the inheritance and he didn't want to complicate this situation. Now the symbol of this transaction was this sandal, which I referred to earlier. And I'm going to throw a lot of verses up here on the screen, and you don't have to read them. I'll try to read them and comment on them as I go. Uh, Deuteronomy 25. Uh, And this, uh, I think you're familiar because this is what's playing out here in the book of Ruth, and I'll go as fast as I can. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name will not be blotted out in Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go to the gate. Remember, this is a place of business to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Let's go to, then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her. Now we're just reading here in Ruth. He says, listen, give me the land, not her. Okay. So what they do is these elders put some pressure Listen, you better take her. You better raise up a name, the, the dead person's name. Now, if, if nothing works, looks what, look what happens. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders and remove his sandal from his foot and spit in his face. Now, you didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Holy cow. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders and remove his sandal off his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. This man who just got spat on uh, has a new designation or stigma now in Israel. He is the man... The house of him who had his sandal removed. He's the guy that wouldn't marry the girl. Now, whenever we read Ruth, we don't have this whole situation going on. I think this is the reason. is because this is a situation where there was no hope for the widow to have a child. But in Ruth, we have a, we have a plan, a backup plan. And the backup plan was Boaz was ready to step up and play the role of the family redeemer. And so the contemptuous part of the ceremony is omitted. Boaz is the backup plan. Well, Ruth put God first, and he brought her together in a relationship greater than she could ever imagine. She was going to be married to Boaz, uh, and he has all of these incredible qualities and i'll tell you what it's the qualities that people have that really count you know it's not the money they have that counts or it's not the education they have that counts it's the qualities of life that they have that counts now here we find a picture of a public wedding ceremony Boaz had a love for Ruth that was public, a love that wanted to be publicly witnessed and registered by the witnesses. You know, people get married for lots of different reasons, don't they? Uh, I was reading about a pastor. He was called to a local nursing home to perform a wedding. And an anxious old man met him at the door, and the pastor sat down to counsel the old man, and he asked him several questions. He said, first of all, do you love her? And the old man said, nope. (laughs) Secondly, he said, is she a good Christian woman? He said, I don't know for sure. And then he said, does she have lots of money? He said, I doubt it. And so the pastor was perplexed. And he said, then why are you marrying her? And he said, because she can drive at night. People get married for all kinds of reasons. You know that? Now, I just said that. I just did that this morning to say, don't you ever do that when they put you in a nursing home. Your kids will kill you if you do that. You start praying now that you don't go off like that. Looking for somebody who can drive at night. People get married for all sorts of reasons. Ruth was getting married for all the right reasons. She was going by the book and so was Boaz. Um, And then God blessed their union. Uh, Ruth had evidently been unable to bear children. She had been married for 10 years down in in Moab with no children. And now all of a sudden God gives her kids. And uh, she is so happy. Her neighbors named her child and... As happy as Ruth was, I don't know, Naomi may have been more happy. A grandson for Naomi. You know, there's nothing as uh, wonderful as a grandson or a granddaughter for a grandmother, you know that? I took, uh, here's, uh, this is the, uh, the old version. Here we have Naomi and Ruth, their little grandbaby. I think I have another picture back there, don't I? There, look at that. <laughs> Now, this is Joanne with a little Caden. Caden is our youngest grandson. And I took her picture there in the hospital over in Columbus, and I thought, man, that expression says it all, right? And so this expression uh, is lived out time and time and time again when grandmothers hold those little kids or their grandkids. They can hold a while and then give them back. And let them go home. Well, Ruth and Boaz, uh, they became great-grandparents for David, the king of Israel. Whenever you think about Boaz, I want you to think about Christ, and I want you to do this exercise. Go, go into your Bible and read the whole, all four chapters, all four chapters, and uh, make a list of all the things that look like Christ. And then when you come to Ruth, I want you to put your name there. Because Boaz is a picture of Christ and Ruth is a picture of you. She was the one who was destitute. She was a stranger from the things of God. She was lost until she made a commitment by faith to follow the God of Israel. I invited a man to church this probably a week or so ago. I said, your friend came to church, I'm saving you a seat. And his response to me was, I'm bad. Two words, I'm bad. Uh, And I I was kind of just a little bit taken back by that and I said, I responded by saying, you know, everybody I know fits in that category. The Bible says there is none that does good, no, not one. Everybody I know. Uh, that has come to church and that's trying to live the Christian life falls in that category. We're all bad. We have this human sinful nature that rises up within us. You know, it's the people who feel they are good for which there is no hope. If a person realizes that they are bad, that is the first step in the right direction. Because, but most of the people that we know feel that they're good. Most of the people we know feel like I haven't hurt anybody. I'm trying to do the best I can, and so therefore God is pleased with me. This man was had the first step right. He said, I'm bad. He knew it. That's a good start. Do you know that? Everybody has to realize that they're lost before they can be found. Uh, and uh And so I think he's on the the way. You know, uh, it's not where you you came from, but it's where you're going that makes a difference in life. You know, this man thought that there were the bad people over here, which he was a part of, and there are the good people over here, and he can never bridge the gap. But the beautiful thing is Christ did that for us on the cross. Amen? Amen? He bridged the gap. And when we accept him by faith, he credits to our account forgiveness. And he takes away our sins and washes them away and makes us right in the sight of God so that we can have fellowship with him. And we come together in the church and we sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. Well, listen, let me tell you today, it's not where you came from. It's not your past life. It's where you're going. And when you open your heart to Jesus Christ, uh, God will take you on the journey of a lifetime. Not only through this life, but on to heaven when you die. Let's bow our heads in prayer. It all began with a decision a decision. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads now as our men get into position to serve communion. And I want you to, if you will, to look into your heart today and and, uh, respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit is always talking to us to raise the bar, to show us things in our life that are negative, to show us things in our life that we can commit to Him and change. And so maybe there's some glaring things in your life. And and listen, God can change that. God can change those things that you can't change. And so right before we take communion together, I'd like to ask you to look down there and say yes to God. Yes, Lord, I hear what you're saying to me in this area of my life. I commit it to you, Lord. Just change me by your great power. Forgive me. Forgive me. I want to follow you. Dear Lord, as we come to partake of communion together, I just pray that you will move among us now as we, as we recognize in the church the, that these emblems that we are partaking of are, are the emblems of your broken body and your shed blood. We pray that in the solemnity of this hour that you will uh, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Gentlemen, please serve the congregation, the, the bread. And as you receive uh, your little portion this morning, please retain it until we've all been served and we'll take it together.